Hello, how are we? Happy New Year. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast today. We're sponsored by Betfair. We are Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. I'm Ali and he's George. Happy New Year, my friend. A Merry New Year to you, my friend. How are you? <laughs> yeah, all good. All good. We've looked back on a, on a good year, 2022, 91 podcast episodes, which is, a, I think it's been basically 91 podcast episodes for the last three years in a row. Um, we had our first ever proper our own show on Sky Sports, didn't we? So that was a nice thing to have happened last year. And we go again this week. Yes, EFL 21 under 21, hosted by Sky Sports, is going to be back on your screens on Friday. Uh, We are heading back into Sky Studios. It's been a while. It's going to be emotional. Can't wait to go back and sit down and rattle through the 21 players that we believe currently playing in the EFL are those who are likeliest to, to get to the top or are the best prospects with some caveats there, no low knees, no players who move for big money and no players who have significant Premier League experience as well. I cannot wait, mate. I cannot wait. My only concern is that I am getting the train down to London tomorrow um, to get in the studio with you on Wednesday. And that means I'm spending my first night away from my daughter tomorrow night. Oh. So the things we do for football. I really hope that everyone listening, everyone that watches the show really gets behind what we're trying to do, trying to highlight the young talent in the EFL that's being developed by EFL academies and EFL clubs. Um, there is a huge pool of Premier League loanees in the EFL. That is a, a big part of the rich tapestry of the EFL in 2023. And there are many of those wonderful loanees that we enjoy watching every week who I'm sure will go on to play right at the very top of the game. But what we really want to highlight and applaud and celebrate and cherish uh, is the work that EFL clubs do bringing through their own players, whether it's local talent or, or others that they've found from elsewhere and, and nurtured. Or sometimes in the case of of a couple of players uh, across the leagues, players who have maybe started in uh, what you might call elite academies, Premier League academies, but have been shipped off, binned off, told they're not good enough at at a certain age, um, but have found a good landing spot and are now sort of starting their career within the EFL. So each player, 21 of them, will have around two, two and a half minutes. So it's really fast paced, hopefully an entertaining watch. It's a little intro. It's a bit of context. Where's this guy from? Uh, And then a bit of analysis with some clips as well. We're so excited about it. We hope that you'll watch on Friday night, the 6th of January, 6pm on Sky Sports Football. It will be repeated plenty over the weekend. And also, there'll be loads of uh, clips being put on social media. I'm pretty sure the skysports.com website will host all 21 of the player clips. So there is no reason that you cannot watch this. Uh, We hope that you will. We're really, really looking forward to it, as you can tell. In order to help build up towards that, the second part of today's episode will be a discussion uh, of the 21 players that we picked for the inaugural list uh, last year, uh, many of whom have moved on to pastures new in the Premier League, one or two of them abroad, uh, and a lot of them now too old to make this year's list, although not all of them. So in the second half of this pod, uh, we're going to sort of recap the year that those 21 players have, just discuss w- what's gone on, what's been good, what's been less good, and kind of have the discussion that we want to have about the fact that player development isn't linear. This isn't a computer game where there's a wonder kid and everything just moves in an upward trajectory for them and they just keep getting better and they keep moving up until they reach the very, very top. That's not how it is in reality. And a big part of the show that we're doing isn't just to try and predict those who are going to play for England or play in the top six in the Premier League, but to actually try and appreciate and understand the sorts of things that sometimes derail or are obstacles for a young player's career. So um, second half of of this pod will be a chat about 21 under 21. And also, George... 
it's a bit of a first for us in terms of the fact of when we are recording this pod and something we might need to explain before we get going. Yeah, I think 3pm on a Monday isn't necessarily a strange time for us to be recording, but it is Monday, a bank holiday Monday after New Year's um, Day, and that means there is loads of football going on. So as I uh, am speaking to you right now, I'm watching... Gary Rowett, live from the Gillette Soccer Labs um, studio, talking about what is currently Norwich nil, Watford nil. So this is part um, normal recap, because we had loads of games yesterday, part live reaction show, where we're going to try and make sure it doesn't get too um, hectic, but we will be able, especially towards the end of games, to react as the goals go in. 14 games across three leagues that are going on as we speak. But first, we're going to be recapping the New Year's Day action. And what I'm calling the the festive triple game week, we're definitely going to be highlighting those who have had a really strong week or so and those who have had a pretty miserable festive period in a footballing sense uh, before finishing off with some EFL 21 under 21 excitement. In the championship on New Year's Day, George, Huddersfield 1, Luton Town 2. Luton Town and Rob Edwards have enjoyed three festive wins back to back to back, have moved from 15th to currently 5th. Of course, depending on results elsewhere in the next couple of hours, that may change. It's been an excellent week for Luton Town, and it's been quite nice and enjoyable to watch them just start to evolve a little bit under Rob Edwards. Yeah, I mean, the evolution you mentioned there um, is, is basically going from being quite in quite a difficult position um, with the results around Nathan Jones leaving to suddenly winning games of football again. You know, it wasn't long ago that I was sitting here touting um, Luton as a potential dark horse to for, for as promotion candidates. And that looked quite silly for a time. I think now, again, they look like they're, they're absolutely that because at this stage, you know, it's a very congested league. But under Rob Edwards, they've got off to a, a really good start. And I didn't necessarily expect that to happen, if I'm honest. I think the, the way that, um, as much as I respect Rob Edwards as manager, um, I think often when a, a new man comes into a uh, an environment where someone's been very influential and very good, you know, looking at, maybe particularly um, what's happened at Rotherham with uh, Paul Warren going out and Matt Taylor coming in, possibly at Blackpool as well, even though that was that was the end of the season. Um, it's hard to kind of pick up the reins and carry on, especially at Luton, where I think Nathan Jones, the job that he's done is probably the, the best of anybody, really, in the EFL over the last decade or so, twice. Um, Graham Jones didn't make a great fist out of replacing him the first time. Uh, it is very early days, but for Rob Edwards to come in and get the results he's been getting, getting key players playing incredibly well has been mightily impressive you know you look at the the games that they have won um you know this was probably the one on paper that looked maybe the easiest despite Huddersfield winning back-to-back games you know I think we, we mentioned uh at least on the on the betting show that maybe it could be a false dawn um the 3-0 win at QPR the 2-1 win over Norwich so impressive um but to, to get three from three to come from behind um certain you know I think Car- uh, Carlton Morris is growing in stature game by game as being a, a centre forward who not only scores goals but can hold the ball up, can bring others into play, can dominate defences. Um, you know, Alfie Doughty is a player who's who's really come on as well under under Edwards so far. I mean, there's just a lot to like. I, I don't, you know, you might tell me otherwise, but from kind of a stylistic point of view, it doesn't feel to me like there's been a huge shift. They're just scoring a lot of goals and winning games. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely not revolution, right? 
but I, I do think there are some some little bits and bobs and, and maybe sometimes this is confirmation bias you're kind of looking for it things have gone well and, and you're looking for things that look a little bit different but certainly in the QPR game I mean I watched the first half before I went into Five Live to do um, Around the Grounds on the 29th and I was really impressed I mean their first goal was was probably the best example of what we're talking about and that was um, really expansive play the, the wingbacks uh, in this instance Doughty um, picking the ball up and really committing to attacking with speed and, and directness uh, on the ball rather than and playing it too early into the front men uh, and then um, a really nice ball across which which Morris finished well I, I, th- I would say there's been a move towards just a tiny bit more expansive play working it a little bit more but you know Edwards's Forest Green team weren't like some possession monsters either they were an effective attacking unit who could play long who could play short who could play out wide or who could get it straight into the 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 forward men you know this is the the mixed style that I was kind of talking about on the pod last week uh, when we talked about Russell Martin and I think that Edwards um, you know if Jones's Luton were were probably more uh, towards the direct end of the spectrum uh, and a team like Swansea are at the complete other end of the spectrum well I think a, a Luton side under Rob Edwards might look to try and be a little bit more in the middle uh, and be able to do a bit of both and, and play as well as uh, play direct and, and go for the second ball. So that's what I think I've seen. Um, three wins in a row, whatever it looks like, has been absolutely excellent. And yeah, great to see. Uh, we saw a first league start for Louis Watson uh, on New Year's Day, did very well at the base of midfield. And Panzu has looked excellent under Edwards, looks um, absolutely inspired and just snapping at heels and winning balls in that kind of ball winning role, doing really well. And Doughty at right wing back, you know, left footed, but. Um, so quick and has, has been excellent in the last few games as well. Someone said to me that he was playing like an EFL Gareth Bale, like a young Gareth Bale <laughs> in the early days. And I instinctively wanted to hate it and think it was a massive over-exaggeration. But if you watch a few of his highlights from the last few games, you kind of see what, what's being said there. So, so quick, so direct and seemingly in great rhythm technically as well in terms of playing the right final pass and, and scoring that magnificent goal against QPR as well. Uh, so four teams have the chance to do the same as Luton. Sheffield United, Burnley, Middlesbrough and West Brom all have the chance to make it three festive wins as we record. But otherwise, it's just Luton so far. Uh, George Blackburn won Cardiff nil. Feels to me like pretty standard fare for both sides here. Blackburn winning a game, uh, having created a couple of chances, but not loads and loads. And Cardiff not quite somehow able to really cut loose. Not horrendous, but just not picking up many points. I I tried to find, I I couldn't find anywhere, a stat to see how many deflected goals um, Blackburn has scored so far this season because it does seem to be a a bit of a trend. Either they're either worldies or they're ricochets, and and this was in the in the ricochet bracket with uh, a Bradley Dack strike being deflected past the Cardiff keeper. Um, and yeah, th- this did feel like a, another very typical um, performance from from Blackburn, where they weren't much better than the opposition. Um, they managed to get themselves ahead somewhat fortuitously or, or not in a particularly like well-worked, well-crafted move. Um, and then lived on the edge a little bit with Cardiff coming coming back at them and having a couple of chances to, to equalise and, and not being able to, to make the most of it. Um, I, you know, I, I still believe this blueprint for, um, for, for them, for Blackburn in terms of a promotion push is pretty unlikely to, to yield that you know they, they have over over you know overperformed expected goals by 10 or so already this season from open play um but you know having said that I guess they are 
fairly solid in terms of what they are doing. Um, they don't concede many chances uh, at all. And, and Cardiff, under Mark Hudson, after a decent little mini spell when he first took over, have, have struggled to create too much themselves. So it was a pretty low quality game between two sides who I don't think um, are, are of the requisite quality to, to challenge. Um, but having said that, Blackburn are challenging right now. So there comes a point, we're into January now, where points on the board are pretty important. And if, um, if, if Blackburn can keep forcing it in any which way, then... Uh, fair play to them. I'm so invested now in them not drawing a single game. It's 26 matches this <laughs> season, a couple at the end of last season as well. 14 wins, 12 defeats, zero draws, 30 goals scored, 30 goals conceded. I really need this to continue. It's going to be a great shame if they ever do uh, draw a league game. I'm really pleased to see Bradley Dack back and scoring, albeit, as you say, aided by a deflection. There was a There was a period of time after he was you know, nominally back and fit and available for selection after his umpteenth horrible and long-term injury. Uh, There was a period of time where the fans were getting quite frustrated that Thomason was seemingly not um, throwing him in, uh, using him as much as they would have liked. You know, a player who has such a good goal-scoring record when he stays fit is such a just has that unbelievable knack for getting the type of chance that he scored in this goal to win them that game, which not a lot of players at the level and certainly not a lot of players in the Blackburn Rovers squad have. So clearly a real asset for them. Fans getting a bit frustrated with Thomason a few weeks ago uh, that he wasn't being used enough. It looks now like he was just being uber careful, probably under the advice of the sports scientist, because Dak has started the last three games in a row. Uh, no signs that Thomason doesn't fancy him, just that he was really making sure that he was ready uh, and, and fit and healthy, because Lord knows another long-term injury for Dak would be very, very tough to take. At Millwall 3, Rotherham nil was pretty one-sided. 27 shots to 5, 3.7 expected goals to 0.42 per info goal. Although it should be said that Connor Washington did have a great chance at 1-0, fired over um, uh, with the goalkeeper out of his goal uh, but mostly George I'm afraid this is going to be Rotherham alarm isn't it I mean you, you have expressed so many concerns about the way that they are playing particularly the way that they are defending um, I I haven't really had anything to, to particularly fire back at you in terms of playing devil's advocate and and even on NTT 20 squad you know it's the Millwall guys on there Alex who covers Millwall as a journalist he's on the squad just saying yesterday we we couldn't find or think of an easier game that Mill will have had uh, and have rarely been to a game where the opposition have offered nothing. Every chance they had was self-inflicted for Millwall and they still couldn't take them. Millwall getting it done with ease. Yeah, I mean, I think Rotherham at this current stage are up there with the worst championship sides we've seen ever um, in terms of their last 10 games. They Every team that plays against them, every fan base that plays against them recently comes away from it just flummoxed as to how easy it's been to create against them um you know for those who listen to the betting show on a thursday it's three weeks in a row that i put up goals against them three weeks in a row that that that's one i don't really see any way out for them at the moment um the performance levels would have to increase by so far just to reach like a, a you know a huddersfield level um they are the worst team in the league by by miles as it stands at the moment and that you know the job that paul warren did there improves basically by the hour um you know Bradshaw uh, got got two goals um the uh he also missed a pretty much an open goal as well it was just wave after wave of, of Millwall attack um and you know they've got 27 points at this stage Rotherham after their, their decent start to the season they're still one point out of the relegation zone but the good news for Huddersfield for Wigan for Blackpool is that they are 
they are just a sitting duck right now. It's just it's just impossible to see any way that they're going to be able to play their way out of this unless things massively improve. And you know they're not a side that we anticipate will go out in January and and bring in reinforcements. So um, I mean it's it's so difficult. I mean it's 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 even a case of how you see them picking up points at all. I mean it, obviously they did. Um, you know, they've had a couple of okay results under Matt Taylor. The the one 0 win at Sheffield United was. Clearly, the you know the the result at least that sticks out, but um, that's their only win dating back to mid October. And uh, yeah, I mean it's it's destination League One. I'm afraid at the as it stands at the moment. There's a lot of different factors here. It's not it's not as simple as Matt Taylor's doing the wrong things. It's probably not quite as simple as it was all about Paul Warren and everything he was doing. I think there's quite a few factors all mixing together to to provide as you say, such a horrendous last couple of months. I mean, Will Daniels, who's on NTT20 squad, Rotherham fan, you know, he's kind of put this into words for us on there yesterday, saying that difficult to nail down one thing. You know, you have to acknowledge the injuries that they've had, particularly Ben Wiles now being out for the season. Um, quite a few others that have, have held them back. is such a key man for them, and he's been in and, in and out. Um, tons of issues at uh, in defence, centre-back and at wing-back as well. Then there's the normal sort of contractual issues of Bene and Barlasa this time, but it feels like every time um, Rotherham have made it to the championship, their key men have been in a position where it just makes career sense for them not to sign new contracts, not to be tied down and therefore move on uh, at a rate that, that doesn't feel that fair given given what Rotherham have done for them. That's another situation that's kind of hanging over the club right now. It's just one of them. You know, um, Will did say he, he feels like Matt Taylor's tried to change too much too quickly in the sense of, of underworn. Everyone knew what Rotherham were about, but found it hard to stop. Set-piece monsters, high press, crosses, loads of that. Taylor's in changing things and trying to uh, trying to get them on the ball a bit more and work in tighter spaces. Well, it's they've lost basically what they had before and they haven't gained anything yet. Uh, and they arguably don't have the personnel to do so, um, says Will. It's kind of hard to disagree with that. This is a team that was, for so many years under Warren, so much greater than the sum of its parts and that reflected so well on him. Now it just looks like a team that is either the sum of its parts, by which I mean one of, if not the weakest squad in the division, or maybe even less than the sum of its parts. I'd say that would be a little bit harsh right now on, on Taylor, but I can see why the fans are not too impressed with the start of his regime. Had a couple of draws as well yesterday. Um, George Coventry won, Bristol City won. Coventry, a couple of, of home games that they would have looked at as winnable on paper. A couple of home games which, if they had won, they'd be sitting pretty, possibly in fourth or fifth. But as it is, they've drawn. Um, first, it was nil-nil at home to Cardiff and then one all here against Bristol City. Bristol City with some improved performances, I think it's fair to say, uh, in the last two games uh, since we've spoken at, at length about Nigel Pearson being under pressure. Certainly improved performances, but the results uh, not much better. Two draws for them. It's the other one that you wanted to talk about in particular. Blackpool 1, Sunderland 1. What would you like to discuss here? <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't normally talk about draws. I mean, we've obviously spoken about Michael Appleton a lot in this podcast in the past. Um, and, you know, it's now, what is it, nine without a win uh, in the championship, which is the longest um, un- longest winless run of any team uh, in the league so far this season, um, albeit four draws in the last five. Um, but th- things have got really toxic there. And, you know, the fan base clearly are not happy um, with Michael Appleton and his tenure. You know, it was interesting when he f- was first appointed. 
the fans were not particularly happy after a fairly decent start. Things improved a little bit. And then now, um, as I say, it's pretty toxic. We spoke about how you know, Appleton has, has, has basically, um, in a similar way to what he did at Oxford as well, he hasn't been going over to, to clap the fans seemingly, which has caused even more annoyance amongst amongst the fan base. Um, he, um, you know, when he was at Oxford, when there was criticism early in, early in his tenure, he referred to it as white noise, which Oxford fans, as you can imagine, didn't take to particularly well at all. And that's kind of the interesting part for me is that, you know, he goes down as being Oxford's best manager in kind of the modern era, better than Chris Wilder. Um, and it got off to a really poor start where a lot of people wanted him sacked. And then January came around. Um, he worked his mag- magic in the transfer window, namely George Baldock and Kimar Roof in League Two, which, as you can imagine, was fairly devastating. And then things improved pretty quickly. So um, I guess my point on Appleton is two things. Firstly, you know, Josh Bowler is seemingly returning to the club. Um, Josh Bowler scored seven goals last season and got two assists. He was their best player. Um, he was one of the best players in, in the championship in his role as a, a kind of wide creative forward. Well, he looked even better at the start of this campaign as well, didn't he? He was His return will be huge. And then Keshi Anderson is kind of the forgotten man, I guess, where he got four goals and four assists last season and hasn't been available uh, all, all campaign due to injury to, to Michael Appleton. So the comparison, I think, to the squad that Neil Critchley had and what Michael Appleton had is not really fair where I you'd say the two best attacking players that Critchley had um, aren't available to Appleton one now will be again but when Bowley was there early in the season things were, were much better and you expect an improvement and also there's always just going to be teething problems and, and the thing that I find just the weirdest I've said it before in this podcast and this isn't a point having a go at fans you know I don't go to, to Blackpool I don't buy my ticket and sit at the Blackpool Stadium every week and have to watch it so I'm not by any, by any stretch telling them that they are wrong in terms of, of wanting Appleton out or not enjoying the match to experience or anything like that it's a wider point where you know they have a, what, a bottom four five ten maybe six but realistically they've got one of the smallest budgets in, in the division their any um, improvement any over anything better than basically staying up in my mind is is a decent job well done where getting relegated is is just about par like three teams have to go down and at the moment they are on the cusp of relegation it's just the discrepancy between the top end of the championship and the bottom end in part because the parachutes payments are so massive compared to league one and league two that it's just a totally and utterly thankless task this job like i just don't see how whether you're colo torre or or liam richardson before that whether you are mark fotheringham matt taylor coming in at rotherham you know, the expectation, it's the only part, it's the only area I can see, basically, in domestic football where expectation and reality are so far apart, where you have to outperform where you are, where your budget is in order to be seen to be doing an, an adequate job. And that makes it incredibly difficult. Like, if I was going to go into management, which people would be delighted to hear it isn't in my five-year plan, those would be the jobs that I would avoid at all costs because you're in hiding to absolutely nothing. If you do what Ryan Lowe does at Preston and you managed to make them a solid mid-table side on a small budget, people shrugged their shoulders. Is, is Ryan Lowe being touted for a, a bigger job? No. If he continues to do what he's doing at Preston, is he going to get a bigger job? Nope. So where's the payoff? Um, you know, I, I, I still have faith that Appleton is a very good um, manager. I think he will be successful at the level. I think he's incredibly good in the transfer market, so it'll be interesting to see what he does in, in the next couple of weeks. But maybe the relationship with Blackpool is damaged beyond repair. 
Um, but if it is, it'll be someone else's job to have to come in and try and overperform. It feels like there might be uh, an investigation or a discussion to be had about the fact of replacing managers that have outperformed, that have made a team better than the sum of its parts, that have you know, outperformed the budget like Neil Critchley did, like Paul Warren did, funnily enough, like Matt Taylor did at Exeter. And, and there's, you know, I wouldn't say Caldwell's having a terrible time, but there's early suggestions that things don't look as good as they did under Matt Taylor. That's maybe another thing that you'd want to look at as a manager, right, George? is like, what's the guy before me done to raise the expectations beyond a level that might be fair in like purely objective terms that's probably something to look at as well of course we just spoke about rob edwards who so far seems to be you know at the very least building on what nathan jones did and, and hasn't kind of lost grip or the grip that jones had so that's quite but, interesting but, on, but on that on that point it's interesting because now for rob edwards obviously it's great that he's made the start that he's made but, but what are the expectations around him now like what what is he you know he has taken over a club who have been overperforming to get in the playoffs last season he's taken them over in 15th as you say but still you know in touch with that he's won three games if Rob Edwards and you know and Luton start to have a bit of a slide down the table and suddenly they're in 15th 16th in in March April and on their way down it'll be him that's coming under pressure again it's just I mean I, I don't really know there's no answer to this it's just a discussion where for managers' expectations and what, you know, it's it's a very rare job where all of us in our jobs, everyone listening here, the expectations in our jobs, I mean, you, me and you have quite a weird job, so we're a bit different, but people who, who work in normal jobs, they have, you know, KPIs they have to hit and they're, they're realistic um, and they get, you know, rewarded for hitting them or, or not for not. There are very few jobs where you're coming in and you are told, right, this is the resource we are giving you but your fate is going to be sealed by people who have a massive emotional attachment to this company and they are going to expect you to perform completely beyond those resources. Like it's rare, but it's football. In the bottom of the championship, that is, you know, in the Premier League, clubs who have a bottom like relegation budget in the Premier League go into it fully aware that relegation is going to be on the horizon. They change a manager because it's an attempt to try and change things. In the bottom of the championship, you know, with Liam Richardson now, you look at what's happened with Liam Richardson, you look at what's happened with Danny Schofield. It's you're not doing a good enough job. This is rubbish. It's your fault. Make a change. Carlo Torrey's about to, I mean, they're, at time of recording, they are 1-0 down at home to Hull. It's going to be four losses in a row. Um, Huddersfield are still in the relegation zone. Things haven't really improved under Fotheringham at all. Like, it's, it's, it's just, you have to point the finger at someone for being in the relegation zone, which comes under the umbrella of underperformance, whereas realistically it's just you have one of the worst squads in the league and that means you're going to be down towards the bottom of the league. Like, should that Blackpool squad be doing any better than they are? Maybe. Like, it would be a hell of a job if they were. I'd like to talk to a football manager or maybe get the thoughts of a few if there are any current EFL managers or those who have managed in the EFL in the past and would like to again in the future. I'd like to understand a bit more about the old clapping the fans thing because in the last week or so we've had Matt Taylor not clapping the Rotherham fans and that being a sticking point. We've had Michael Appleton not clapping the Blackpool fans and that being a sticking point. We've had Richie Smallwood not clapping the Bradford fans and that becoming a sticking point. You can debate till the cows come home as to whether it really matters and whether everyone should just chill out a little bit and not worry so much about it but that feels like a waste of time because people do care about it. People who have paid money and in some cases travelled a long way to watch their team, they do care about that. That is important to them. And so I don't really understand 
why you wouldn't make life a little bit easier for yourself and make a very small gesture, even if it's for selfish reasons, even if you don't want to, because you've had tons of tweets slagging you off all week and and it's upsetting your family or whatever it might be. Even if that's the case, make it easier for yourself just in a small way. Just clap the fans just for five seconds. It's not difficult. I don't understand it. I do not understand it. In League One, George, three festive wins for Plymouth Argyle right at the top of the Christmas tree and the League One tree um, and the angel, Morgan Whitaker again. I feel like he's on, on our lips a lot at the moment. It's nine goals and seven assists now for Whitaker. Uh, it was a teasing cross for James Wilson to put them ahead. Then a nice reverse pass to Ennis to put them 2-1 up. And then one of his own and a classic trademark Low strike, accurate and in off the post for Whitaker. The star man as Argyle win three in a row. 16 goal contributions in 1,750 minutes. And now we're getting some quite interesting and quite weird rumours about Morgan Whitaker. I don't know if you've seen, but there's a couple of bits and bobs that he might be recalled and then sent to Ipswich, which would be pretty lively indeed. And I, I could probably sympathise with Argyle fans being like, what? Come on. What's the point of that? <laughs> yeah. Then there's me sitting here thinking, it's a no-brainer for Swansea to recall him and make him part of their first-team squad. Because this is a club who we know hate spending money, so I don't see are very likely to spend money in January. We know that there are issues around Obafemi and allegedly or reportedly Patterson as well, and that these two players are essentially being phased out because they're, they're not contributing or they're not committed to the club. Like, they're not very... They're not stacked in these attacking areas. They play a similar system and style to Plymouth Argyle, and he's their player, a guy who's about to turn 22 with 16 goal contributions in the first half of the season. I'm sure that means he has proven, at the very least, that he has the quality to be a nice goal option, a goal threat option for them off the bench. So it seems like everything's in play here for Whitaker. Yeah, I mean, it's it'd be an absolute disaster for Argyle to lose... Um such a key player to them uh, whether he goes to Ipswich or not but if he were to go to Ipswich I mean that would I think Swansea would have to be quite careful there because um, I'm not sure too many clubs would be particularly willing to to take a, a loanee from um, a club who are willing to recall them and then send them off to, to their rivals given the what is at stake here for, for, for Plymouth Argyle to lose a 16 goal contribution player in half a season and for him to be sent to the, the team who are most likely to prevent you from going up to the championship um, would be a, a real hammer blow. Um, you know, he's he's been a really impressive player for them so far this season. You know, we, we talk a lot about how um, Argyle are kind of overperforming their underlying numbers. I think Whitaker has been a massive p- part of the reason because he is very, very good at shooting from range. You know, it's probably not something that's necessarily going to continue at the rate that it has done, but there's no denying that he is someone who can find the corner from pretty much anywhere on the edge of the area. And that's a massive skill to have. So, um, yeah, it'd be a huge blow. They've been so impressive. As I've said before, I thought they were going to start falling away at some point fairly soon um, and it looked like that was going to happen, but their last few performances have been dominant. Back to the usual Argyle that we know. You know, they, Their games are generally fairly chaotic and they've got the best keeper in the league to keep them in games and some pretty clinical uh, front men all vying for, for a couple of spots. You know, That is a key thing that Argyle have that, that levels them up with Sheffield Wednesday and Ipswich that none of the other teams in the league who... Are trying to compete with those two, the two of the biggest budget have, where they have that strength and depth. You look at Ipswich's roster of attacking players, you look at Sheffield Wednesday's roster of attacking players compared to Barnsley, compared to, to even Derby, um, and then you look at 
Argyle who have that. So I think that's a, a huge part of it as well. Um, they are, you know, at the time of recording, Wednesday, you know, half an hour into these these Monday afternoon games, Wednesday are 2-0 up. Ipswich are still drawing 0-0 at, at Lincoln. Uh, and if, if Ipswich do drop points and that gap, and it is becoming a gap, becomes bigger again. Absolutely. Uh, from the MK Don side, uh, well, a 3-1 defeat, but some interesting notes uh, from Matt McGinn, who's on NTT20 squad, um, just, you know, kind of analysing the start of Mark Jackson's tenure. He switched to a 4-3-3, which is a significant change. MK Don's a team who, um, for the majority of the last two years that I can think of, have generally played with a back three and used that back three heavily in their build-up, of course. Um, But Jackson switching to a 4-3-3 here, making four changes from that defeat to Posh. Uh, Most notably, uh, says Matt, he started the lesser-spotted Ethan Robson, whose energetic performance begged the question of why he has featured so little this season. When I think of a midfield pivot of Bradley Johnson and Josh McEachran, it seems very clear to me that the issue is going to be mobility, energy, those sorts of of physical traits. Um, So it, 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 it therefore stands to reason in my head that an injection of Ethan Robson, who has a bit more about him in that sense, and who's a perfectly good ball player as well, let's be clear, um, could be quite an interesting little tweak for Jackson. Uh, apparently Jackson said post-match that he'll play 4-3-3 in future. That's his favoured formation. So we're looking at a little change here for MK. It'll be something to watch. Um, Matt said they looked more threatening in attack than they have all season. Uh, even played through Plymouth on a few occasions. Issa and Barry both had big chances uh, and Barry had a strong penalty shout turned down as well. The goal that they scored, if you want to watch that back, is probably a sign of the tactics to come. Henry Lawrence, the right back, pressed hard, won the ball high up the pitch, allowing Holland to score. So, um, despite defeat, seems like Matt, the MK fan there, is is seen a couple of things that have piqued his interest uh, and maybe made him optimistic about the next few weeks under Mark Jackson. Uh, I want to talk about, or I want to ask you really about Morecambe 5, Burton Albion nil. Just pure New Year's Day chaos, carnage, confusion and comedy. Yeah, utterly mad this. Um, I, I recommend anyone who hasn't watch the highlights back of this uh, game should should go and do so because yeah total carnage uh, I've never seen a high line exposed in the way that Morecambe were able to consistently do so to, to Burton where they just seem to wedge the ball over the top um, normally for um, for Cole Stockton to kind of run onto and, and miss control before someone else Kieran Phillips then Jensen Weir Jensen Weir would, would pick up and, and stick the ball away um, it was ridiculous and then the final goal uh, the, the Caleb Watts goal was probably the most offside you're ever going to see um, a goal ever, I would have thought. It was about eight yards offside when it was given. Um, just a total aberration from, from Burton, who are so far off what we've seen from them under Dino Mamria in the last few weeks. Um, but Morecambe, you know, it's a massive result for them. Uh, it's a massive result coming off the back of a 2-0 win over Accrington to win back-to-back home games over the Christmas period by an aggregate of 7-0. You know, I spoke about them being, you know, we thought we could probably write them off as being relegated, but suddenly those two wins puts them back up to 22nd position and just one point outside the, just one point away from, from climbing out of the, the relegation zone. So a huge win that will give them massive belief, although I'm just not sure many teams will make it as easy for them as Burton did, a, a really bizarre def- defensive display. It felt like Connor Ripley, who we've we've talked about being one of Morecambe's best players this season he's kept them in many games with his saves it was as if he decided to have an impact in attack as well because it felt like every time he boomed the ball forwards it flew over Mariapa and Brentford's head and Cole Stockton would be running in behind it I mean Stockton's not even the quickest he's not even the most natural running behind striker it's just absolutely bonkers um, but it's been a great week or so for, for Morecambe who've won 
back-to-back games against teams in and therefore around them, Accrington and Burton beaten. They are they are not done. They are not done. And even though everything in the last two months has suggested that their performance level is simply not going to be enough to keep them up. When it comes to Derek Adams and Morecambe, I'm inclined to just keep saying, let's not write him off just yet. Let's not write him off just yet. And when they play well, and when they score a few goals like this, you do look and you think, you know what? Shaw in midfield, we're in midfield. These are like legitimate goal threats from midfield, as we're finding out. You're thinking if Stockton could get himself into some sort of form, which he hasn't had for six months, you're thinking if Phillips can can keep being a bit of a nuisance and a threat up front, two goals for him here, you think they're... There's enough for them to be, at the very least, a goal threat in these games. Um, so that's that's something that they have to continue. You know, then then you've got Watts coming off the bench and scoring two goals as well here. So I'd love to see in the next game or two that this wasn't just some absolutely mad kamikaze performance from Burton that just played into Morecambe's hands. I'd like to see them use the confidence from this to to develop into a, a more consistent attacking threat. And of course. They need to tighten up defensively. But what a fantastic few days for Morecambe between Christmas and New Year. Uh, what else should we talk about? Portsmouth 1, Charlton 3. How about that? It was a, a, a great win, an early tenure win for Dean Holden, um, which is very, very, very necessary, I think, for him to to get the fans somewhere near onside. Uh, I got the sense from the fan base when he was appointed that they weren't particularly pleased and they weren't particularly excited, but that it wasn't really anything to do with him or any issues they had with him as a person or his managerial career up to this date. It was just this absolute, you know, fatigue at the the cycle of the club and the carnage at the club. And, 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 and the whole feeling I got was like, well, doesn't matter who we appoint. So we're not going to get too attached to this guy. But there is something about Holden. I think if he can get something going where the fans, we could start to to, to get behind him. Uh, it was an amazing goal from Raksaki to put them ahead. Uh, unfortunately, it comes with rumours of him being recalled and sell, sent elsewhere. Um, similarly to Whitaker, I've heard that Barnsley are a, a potential destination for Yezrin Raksaki. Uh, I'd have thought there might be a championship club that would take a punt on him, but maybe, maybe not. Uh, and once Ogilvy equalised, it was about Scott Fraser, who carried it 20 yards and finished hard and low, hit the bar from a, a set piece as well, Fraser from a free kick, uh, and they got the goal right at the end. Only their second away win of the season, Charlton, and well-deserved as well. As for Pompey, I mean, Ooh, wow. A lot of booze. 10 points from their last 13 games. That's relegation form for more than a quarter of the season. Um, and, and I've got nothing good or positive to say. I've got nothing to suggest that this is just an extended run of bad luck. Maybe there's been a bit of bad finishing here and there, but we're at the length of time now where this isn't just that. Um, this is just mostly desperate displays. Yeah, it's it's really poor. Um, and I think the fans, have, have, well, I think they turned a while ago, but they're certainly not happy with what they're seeing at the moment. Um, it's When you consider how good Pompey looked early on in the campaign, um, the performances at the moment, even, you know, you see the tool draw against Ipswich, which looks like a fairly decent result. Um, the performance itself wasn't great. They, they you know, they were frustrated to concede late on as they did uh, and not get the three points. Um, but I think when the Pompey, when you're in the Fratton Park faithful turn against you, as we saw uh, with Kenny Jacket, it's very, very hard to win them over again. Um, so many good players in that team who just are, are underperforming at the moment. You know, Ronnie Curtis hasn't been the same player for a long time. You'd think a, a front two of, of Dane Scarlett and Joe Piggott 
should be better than this. I think Dane Scarlett is another one to add to the list where you have a uh, a player, you know, a youth player, a pretty high profile youth player who you just anticipate is going to come in and rip it up because he's done it in PL2 and actually it turns out that men's football or senior football is quite a lot tougher than youth football uh, and requires a, a certain level of savvy uh, that maybe they don't have. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know whether or not Danny's going to be in trouble in terms of his job, but I know Pompey fans want him to be. And um, yeah, the run of form now is is looking very poor. I mean, Charlton at Oxford on on Thursday were 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 not good. Um, having said that, the the team selection from Dean Holden was quite strange, where both Ratsaki and, and Lieburn were, were benched, and when they came on, they were they were far more impressive. Um, but yeah, I mean, to to, to lose three one at home to Charlton um, in Charlton's current form is is a, is a really poor result. I don't think posh fans are feeling that much brighter than the Pompey fans, George. They lost 3-0 at home to Wickham. Yeah, weird one this, because I kind of feel like posh's bad run of form um, was on the turn where um, they were the better side against uh, against Charlton in the um, in the one-all draw. They were then very good value for their 2-0 win over MK Dons, but by far the better team completely dominated the game. And even here against Wickham, you know, they conceded a Lewis wing free kick to start with then from a set piece. I mean, there wasn't a great deal in the game. They had they had 25 shots, but were just were unable to to really kind of make their opportunities count um, frustratingly for them. So it, it's hard to kind of know exactly what's going on at the moment at, at Posh. It does feel like they are, um, you know, there, there's certainly some trouble there. I think our preseason expectations of them being challengers clearly hasn't come to be to be the case. Uh, but you know it feels like there are a lot of teams in League One at the moment outside that top three who are not particularly happy with how well top four because Barnsley are going well who aren't particularly happy with how things are going I'm interested in the, in the what they call in the NBA the load management of this week of three games in, in for some teams six days um, load management i.e. Uh, basically rotation and how many minutes you give players how many minutes you, you should give players in order to both try and get them to, to perform at their peak but also to, to make sure that they're not picking up injuries and, and, and missing games and missing weeks or months Ainsworth here for Wickham probably did the most extreme bit of load management of the uh, triple game week he made eight changes for the middle game which was away at Argyle wasn't it and they lost that game 1-0 and you know they were okay but when they made the changes it felt a little like he was prioritizing shall we say a game where he might have felt they had a better chance of winning it uh, and of course then gets his first team players back uh, wins 3-0 they looked you know of course there's a bit of confirmation bias here because Peterborough did have a lot of shots 25 in total seven saves from the excellent strike check but they looked pretty sharp they looked pretty on it uh, and I wonder if that was uh, something that he'll be doing again in the future I-, I saw a quote from Ainsworth where he said the reason he did this was because previous Christmases they've just found it so tough with a small squad and they've they've never quite felt like they've got as much out of their team and the individuals as they would have liked so he decided to take this approach uh, and obviously lost the first game 1-0 at Argyle but won this one three nil at posh and I'd, I'd probably argue that a win and a defeat is a pretty good outcome from those two tough away games uh, lewis wing was a star man it feels like ainsworth's really got wing in the best role to get the best out of him um by which i mean get him in positions to shoot because we know that he can be dangerous from the edge of the box um but make sure your whole attack isn't lewis wing taking long shots you know don't demand a creative role from him necessarily he's never been a, a hugely good creative passer in the final third but ask him to Work hard, which he does. Make loads of tackles, which he does, and then take some shots, which he does. Uh, scoring two goals here, I think that's. I think it's 
both good recruitment from Wickham and good man management as well from from Ainsworth. Uh, Posh just what is it four points in their last seven games? Um, inconsistent. Don't tend to put together a good ninety minutes. Poor defending. This real sense of vulnerability and, and just not good enough to blow teams away as they might have done in, in previous seasons, previous iterations. Uh, Oxford nil. Exeter won. The winner scored by Nombappe as they're calling him. <laughs> Were, was this unfair on Oxford? Were Exeter good for this? Where do you stand? I saw a tweet yesterday that suggested that a little bit of air has been let out of your yellow balloon. Oh, I mean, it was pretty flat anyway, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think Exeter are a good value. I, I don't think that will be reflected by lots of Oxford fans because you know, Matt Taylor hit the post at nil-nil. Uh, Oxford dominated possession in the first half. But on the balance of play, you know, the, if you look at the four occasions in the game that came closest to being a goal you've got the Nombe goal uh Elliot Moore made a, a brilliant kind of sliding block from from uh, Josh Key just before the goal and then X to hit the woodwork um with a, a shot tipped onto the bar by McGinty so it's very much 3-1 to Exeter in the in the nearly scored stakes that's a new metric for you <laughs> expected expected goals of, of, of make and make way for for nearly goals um, yeah, I mean, the first half Oxford were the better side, the second half Exeter were. They were pretty rampant on the break. Um, and when they went ahead, uh, Exeter, with the last 20 minutes or so to go, in their, or 50 minutes, it didn't really feel like Oxford were, were, were going to get particularly close to scoring. The closest they got was a um, a shot from Findlay from just outside the area that was easily gathered by Blackman. So, um, yeah, extra good value. Another flat performance from Oxford after a really good performance against Charlton on Thursday. It's just, it's, it's mid-table mediocrity, isn't it? Is, is the, the the name of the game um, for Oxford this season. And it'll be interesting to see if the new owners decide to, to try and be bullish in the transfer market as Carl Robinson suggests they're going to be. But, you know, when you've got an under-pressure manager, it's January, you're 10 points from the playoffs and 10 points for relegation or whatever it is. Is that the time to go out and start spending money? I, I wouldn't have thought so. No, I would say no. Or you can cause yourself a world of issues in just six months' time in the summer window with a bloated, overpaid and underachieving squad. Definitely an interesting month ahead for Oxford. A good win for, for Gary Caldwell in particular this and a good few days beating Bristol Rovers in a balmy game 4-3 in midweek and then Oxford away as well in the space of just a few days is highly impressive. I know there are a few extra fans too in particular who are in the NTT20 squad who've not been very impressed um, that Caldwell in particular doesn't seem to want to start the trio of Stansfield, Nombe and Giovanni Brown who uh, earlier in the season looked so dangerous, a constant threat for opposition. He seems to want to take a slightly more, maybe a slightly more reserved approach on that front. Uh, and I think it is quite frustrating for the fans who enjoy watching those, those uh, attacking players. But um, you, you cannot argue with the results in these last two away games. And uh, and, and maybe it's a case of, of trying to make sure that they can bring one of those on to, to finish the game strong, uh, as well as, uh, you know, rather than necessarily just trying to hammer teams for the first hour or so. A Forest Green 1, Port Vale 3. I think this is a case of, of Port Vale handling grim second half conditions and just handling and and managing the game a little bit better and grinding it out when they needed to because I mean Forest Green started really well here got ahead early and and looked to be playing much more on the front foot much more uh, ambitious and attacking football and it was working Um, but in the second half I think reality kind of kicked in Port Vale's they're just a much better team they're much more suited to to picking up points and winning games at this level they're much more of an all-round team and they managed to get ahead and win this one 3-1. So it means that Forest Green have lost all three over the Christmas period. We talked about Morecambe picking up points in their last two games. 
Burton have picked up some some decent points recently as well, and it just feels like Forest Green are really struggling to put together um, any sort of performances to to merit winning more than one game at a time and bef- before they go on to lose a couple. And yeah, we had an interesting discussion about Forest Green on the NTT Twenty squad, Chris a fan keen to sh- keen to see them show more intent keen to just look more attacking because feels like they're just rolling over a bit too much for a screen and not bloodying the noses of the bigger clubs like a, a lot of teams around them seem to be able to do a bit better i think i have a bit of sympathy for birchnell um i think it's quite difficult when you are at the talent disadvantage in 90 percent of your games to to just have an attacking mentality that's not to say that he couldn't have have done better on that front, have implemented better attacking patterns of play with the players that he has. But I don't think it's a very, very strong squad. And I also don't think it's a squad particularly well suited to bunkering in and defending for 20 minutes, half an hour, maybe a half at a time if you need to. They're not strong and sturdy enough. Um, And that kind of comes back to the philosophy of the club. It was made pretty clear to us that Forest Green, even in winning promotion, wanted to play a certain way, wanted to try and dominate possession. That's the team they want to be. They're just finding that that's... I'm going to go as far as saying pretty unrealistic um, when they are the size that they are in the league that they are in right now. I, I think Dale Vince is a pretty sympathetic owner, so I don't. I kind of expect him to stick with Birchnell, but it, it does mean it's interesting to see what they do in January. You know, do they go for like warrior types so they can defend and battle a bit better if that's going to be the pattern of their games, or do they double down on club philosophy, go for possessiony quality technical types, which might suit League Two next season better if that's what they're thinking but it might not be the right way to pick up points to, to keep them up it's a, a pretty difficult balance to strike I think uh, lastly George Bristol Rovers 2 Cheltenham 1 Aaron Collins reaching a double-double on the 1st of Jan mm. yeah Collins and Coburn with the two goals um, Bristol Rovers bouncing back from that disappointment of losing 4-3 to, to Exeter um, yeah I mean they're just they're just so good going forward. It's great to see. I mean, it's amazing how every attack seems to be the start with Aaron Collins picking up the ball and driving it at defence before, before slipping someone in. Or it's Aaron Collins being slipped in. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's impressive. Charlton themselves will feel like they probably had a- enough of the game to get a point um, that they probably didn't serve to go to go two down. Um, but, you know, they didn't take their chances. It was a, a ridiculous um, goal that, that May did score. Bristol has been caught passing out from the back, but in a bizarre way where there, there wasn't really any pressure. It was just kind of rolled out and um, and they were able to capitalise on that. And then May himself had a couple of chances to make it 2-2, um, which he might feel she might feel he could have done better with. Um, but yeah, a big win for Bristol Rovers. And uh, Josh Coburn is a player you might be hearing a fair bit about in the next couple of weeks. Hey, Wow. Okay. Well, just because he's going to keep scoring. Right. Yes, of course. Uh, in League Two, George, we've got one team with three festive wins. Sutton United, who did the business in uh, the game against Wimbledon on New Year's Day. This one, I mean, two clubs geographically very, very close. So this one was quite an interesting one to keep an eye on. Wimbledon going into it in pretty good form. But I think no particular complaints that, that Sutton have ended up winning this one 2-1, doing the double over Wimbledon this season. Uh, they had Omar Bugle in good form with a, a goal and an assist. Just generally, that they look... You know, th- this is like putting on a comfy pair of, of amber and chocolate slippers because it just feels quite Sutton under Matt Gray. Um, they've got a fair few players back. It looks a bit more of a settled starting eleven, 
Um, Goodliffe in particular is now back from his long injury. That should make a huge difference for them. Um, and you just get lots of players chipping in. Kizzy finally scoring a goal, having had about 25 attempts inside the six-yard box already this season. Um, he scored a couple of nights ago. Randall, Bugill, Eastmond all in the goals as well. So, um, I mean, it means that Sutton are up to 12th in the table. I'd have thought they might have gone a little bit higher, winning three in a row. But we've got we've got a bit of a seeded batch in the... Uh, in the league, in the league two as well, uh, in the sense that we've got uh, what is it, six points between Carlisle in fourth and Tranmere in fifteenth. That's uh, that's twelve teams, I think, eleven teams, six points between them. So quite interesting. Why don't you tell me about Walsall two, Mansfield one? Yeah, Walsall were. I mean, they won the game two one. It was a, a pretty marginal uh, game between between the two sides, uh, James Taylor and. Liam Kinsella getting the two goals either side of half-time. Um, and then Mansfield came into the game, as you'd expect, uh, a little bit more in the second half once they were 2-0 down. Um, but, you know, after Reese Hoat scored the, uh, to get one back with 10 minutes to go, they weren't able to, to get it over the line. Um, you know, Mansfield's form recently has been uh, a little bit troubling. You know, we I think everyone anticipated they would build on their, you know, being beaten playoff uh, finalists last season with an automatic promotion push. It's not out of the question now. You know, they are, they're in seventh on 38 points. They're only five points off Northampton. Um, but the performance levels have, have definitely dipped in the last few weeks. Um, you know, with the, uh, you know, the, the, the away win against Hartlepool was their win, but before that they had Jaws against um, Stevenage and Northampton, although I guess two of the top three, you can't really argue too much. But Walsall of the team, you're one of the best teams in form at the moment, um, as it stands, I think, uh, Michael Flynn's doing a great job and um, you know you mentioned the seeded batch it does feel like at the moment in my head I kind of have about nine teams down as being um, playoff <laughs> certainties so I don't know how that's quite going to work because Walsall are another one who I think will, con- you know, will continue to develop over the season and look to be um, well set to, to, to challenge there. I think possibly most pleasing for Sadler's fans was it was it was a starting eleven that looked quite different to the starting eleven that they've enjoyed over the last month or two. That's because with Danny Johnson ineligible against his parents uh, parent club and reportedly heading elsewhere, uh, Williams and Douglas James Taylor were up front. Never trust a man with three surnames. I think they say Douglas James Taylor did score a goal. Uh, Williams did a pretty good hold up job. They were also missing Liam Bennett, who's been recalled by Cambridge. Been excellent for them at right wing back. Very consistent this season. So it was Tom Knowles at right wing back. You know, nominally out of position there. Obviously, Knowles, he still managed to get three shots off. Good lad. Um, that's what he does. Uh, and um, Oshin McKenty starting as well. His first game for them at, at right centre-back. I noticed that they signed him in the summer because he's a former Newcastle under-23. Um, he's had an injury since he joined, but straight in here, looking pretty comfortable, looking looking massive, to be honest. He's a big old fella. Um, and I think you know that could be a really nice addition to, to their squad now that he's back up and running. Uh, as for Mansfield... I guess the positive is that Reese Oates is back. He has two and two. He's looking sharp and he should be able to make quite a big impact in the second half of the season. Uh, Bradford three, Salford two. That looked like a bit of a ding-dong. Yeah, Bradford took the lead three times, didn't they, in the game and were able to finally get up, get over the line. Uh, Connor McAlaney showing that he is still very capable of scoring some very good goals. Um, he is uh, an absolute specialist at scoring from outside the box, and he scored two. Uh, the first, a, a decent strike uh, from range, um, and then the second was a free kick, wasn't it, uh, as well. A player who's had his opportunities limited a bit, 
um, with uh, Hendry uh, kind of taking his spot, but Hendry currently suspended, meaning that McElhaney is getting his chance and, and maybe we'll keep hold of it on the basis of that. But for Bradford, it's a massive win. Um, therefore, another one who'd started to tail a little bit, but back-to-back wins um, finally getting over because their record against Harrogate has been pretty poor. Um, but getting that win... Uh, back-to-back Hermans and then beating uh, Salford 3-2, um, which was, yeah, I mean, it was an important win. Abouesa getting the winner with his first touch, having come off the bench. Uh, Vaden Oliver leading the line uh, pretty well. Um, you know, there's still some players disappointing. I'm, I'm amazed that we're not seeing more from Harry Chapman this season. Normally his output is very good. Just one goal and two assists so far in 20 games and another, another quiet game here. But uh, yeah, hopefully back-to-back wins at home will give Mark Hughes and his side the platform to build on, especially with Matty Derbyshire coming in to lead the line for them uh, uh, on an 18 month contract can you believe it he might he, 36 years old he could still be very good I genuinely have no yeah, idea yeah for sure and he's been playing in Cyprus and I, I am not going to turn my in note. India and in India I thought he came over from Cyprus yeah. Cyprus then MacArthur in, in the in Australia and then India I just I just can't understand why you would yeah, I think he made such a smart decision to go and play the dwindling years of his football in lovely places and then he's following up with Bradford which is great and a, a perfect place to end your career having globe trotted a little bit well a, a, apologies it appears that I'd lost track of Matt Derbyshire for a, for a couple you of had. months there yeah. but my my broader point was going to be um it just made me smile that when Mark Hughes was appointed there was and I've already taken the mick out of this a few times one of the lines that was trotted out a lot which made me smile was you know he's got such contacts at the very top of the game like that's got to be good for for Bradford transfers like you know Mark Hughes's contacts book and his mates you know sending in players um and he's just signed Matt Derbyshire who he managed between 2004 and 2008 <laughs> <laughs> ah, what a contacts book so uh, good uh, crew one Tramina was a uh surprising result for short we both picked Tramina to win on the betting show uh when the game started it didn't have any any reason to suggest that that wasn't going to be the case. They were all over Crew to start with, and and it was really Arthur Aconquo who who again comes out of these Crew games with quite a lot of credit for making some pretty nice saves. Um, Elliot never particularly guilty of of one miss, and and Mumbongo in the second half later on. But the goal was one of my favourite of the day. Charlie Colkett latching onto a bouncing ball and lashing Great it, hit. lashing it into the net, um, and. I must admit, I got the sense from what happened after that. That goal was in the first half and Tramir had had almost all of the ball and the shots at that point. It feels like it was almost like had the effect of, of smelling salts on crew. It's like once they once they went ahead against the run of play, like they're suddenly like, oh, okay, well, m- maybe there's no reason why we have to be that bad. Maybe there's no reason why we have to <laughs> just, you know, perform at a, like a bottom half National League level. And from that point... You know they got over the line. Yeah, yes, Mumongo missed one big chance, but but actually it looked like Crew gained confidence there uh, and saw it out. So I'll be all eyes on their next game, see if they can carry on with that or if they'll revert to type from the last month, which has been pretty tricky. Grimsby Stockport was the the we just got promoted from the National League derby and uh, didn't have the result that many people expected. George Grimsby showing some pride and getting the win. Yeah, and they were good. Again, good value for it. This wasn't uh, quite as smashy and grabby as, as Cruz, although, as you mentioned, they did come into the game more in the, after going one up. Um, Stockport were just unable to impose themselves on games as they have done pretty regularly this season. Um, Grimsby were in it. Uh, from the start, they put their um, poor form over the course of the, the season at home uh, behind them and um, they just put in a very good display. I mean, I think defensively, they were they were, they were were good. Waterfall at the back was um, 
as dominant as ever. Croker made a couple of big saves. And Otis Khan getting his uh, second goal in, in two days. I like the front line they've got at the moment of, of Clifton, McAtee and Khan. You know, it's not necessarily the most physical, but in terms of technical quality, that is very, very good for League Two level. Uh, it does feel like Khan is a player who hasn't, you know, hasn't really, uh, well, certainly hasn't kicked on from when he was a, a kid at Yeovil. But, um, you know, he is, he's better than what he's shown, I, I think, at League Two. He's gone missing too many times uh, and he does seem to be thriving now in, in, in the environment around him at Grimsby. So, hope, I mean, this should be the result to end Grimsby's really bad run of form because they've gone up against the team who have proven themselves over the last, specifically in the last month or so, in my mind, to be the best team in the division in Stockport and they've um, beaten them and beaten them well. So uh, that should give Paul Herside um, immense you know, belief going forward that they can uh, continue to push their way back up the table. Just believe in yourselves, guys. Believe in yourselves. Belief. I mean, what a second half of the season they had in the National League last season. I wonder if, yeah. is there anything in that? Is there anything in the way that Paul Hurst and his teams, you know, approach uh, a 46-game seasons and try and peak at the right time? Because, yeah, basically from this point onwards in the National League last season, they absolutely flew uh, all the way into the playoffs and then winning them in, in remarkable fashion. So something to watch there. Cole, you won Swindon nil. It kind of feels like a a win for Matt Bloomfield from what I've I've read about this one. Jamie Cole, you found on NTT20 squad. Great to have his thoughts on the game, saying that basically he was really worried after 25 minutes because Swindon, as is often the case, were very dominant in possession, were looking after the ball pretty well and and were taking a few pot shots uh, and, and Colu fans feeling like they're a bit passive uh, as they had been against similar opposition this season. But Jamie says credit to Bloomfield because he pushed our wing backs forward. We we're much more aggressive. We engaged Swindon much higher up the pitch, um, re- you know, brought our defensive line higher up as well um, and forced them to go long, which, which suited Colchester better and helped to kind of changed the game in their favour. Uh, O'Hara had a good game in goal, made some saves, says Jamie, but overall, I'd say we created the better chances. So, um, yeah, credit Matt Bloomfield. Jamie said you could see the Ainsworth influence on Bloom- Bloomfield today in terms of seeing the game out, and that's kind of the first time they've seen those sorts of um, those sorts of skills. It's good to see. The- these are the points, you know, the odd 1-0 win at home to Swindon, for example. These are the points that other teams at the bottom aren't getting. You know, Cole, you may not win many. And, and yes, we've criticised them so much this season, particularly away from home. They've only won five of their 24 home uh, league games, rather, in total. But they're winning enough at the moment to keep them above um, the likes of Jills, for example. Um, as for Scott Lindsay and Swindon, just struggling a little bit at the moment. I think if you were a neutral, just looking at the league table, you wouldn't think it, it's, anything seemed particularly wrong. But um, from, from what we're hearing, particularly from Richard, who covers Swindon unbelievably well on the squad, just a real disconnect right now between what the fans are seeing uh, in terms of just really stale and, and tough to watch possession football, which isn't providing any kind of particularly consistent penetration and a little bit of softness at the back as well. And just suggesting that they've hit a little bit of a wall, which, again, isn't reflected in the league table, but uh, is something to watch over the next few weeks and, and some murmurings of discontent about the the, ma- uh, the sort of in-game management of Scott Lindsay. Uh, lastly, George, Doncaster 2, Carlisle 1. And, and good good for it by the looks of things. Yeah, very good for it. Probably deserve more. Um, a, a really good display at home against a team currently fourth in the league, who've been one of the informed teams in the, in the division so far um, this this season. Uh, I mean, Danny Schofield's come in and had a, a mixed start, you'd have to say, so far at Doncaster. Um, but this was as complete a performance I think we've seen from them. Uh, Maxwell with the opener, Carl Hurst with the second. Uh, Christian Dennis's goal with a couple of minutes to go gave Carl some brief belief <laughs> that they could go forward and do it again. But this was... 
yeah, a very cozy, comfortable uh, home win um, that um, was pretty much wrapped up uh, after 67 minutes when they, when they took the two-goal lead. And, and Danny Schofield, I'm sure, will, will, will use this as being the performance to show his players and say this is, you know, if we operate at this level, they're currently just, just outside the playoffs. If they put in more performances like this, then... Um, they're another team you can add into that mix of being, play, you know, playoff likely, a uh, playoff likely side. I I sort of see them the same as as how I see Blackburn Rovers, Doncaster Rovers. In that I just don't really understand them. Whether they're winning games or losing them, I don't really understand it either way. Um, I don't think Blackburn are putting as many dominant performances as as Donny did on uh, yesterday's as, yeah this season. Let's play Blackburn, Doncaster, neutral venue. See what happens. Um, Ah, a three-all yeah. draw between Hartlepool and Harrogate was very lively indeed. Um, we got games going on at the moment. We got, you know, we talked about Sutton winning three festive games in a row. There's more teams who, who are at risk of having a, a shocker. Really, Rochdale, Crawley, and Jills all playing now, uh, trying to avoid three straight defeats. Chillingham are behind at Stevenage. Crawley one nil up at half time against uh, Newport and Rochdale nil all at Barrow at half time. Second half of the pod. Some of the 21 under 21 names from last season. Just give a little review of their year, how we think that they've fared, what may have happened to have helped or hindered them uh, and where they might be heading, uh, how they might be looking heading into 2023. And while we do that, we're going to be reacting to goals in the second half of 14 EFL games that are currently ongoing. Okay, so let's start whizzing through the 21 names that we chose as the 21 best players, 21 and under in the EFL this time last year. This is ahead of uh, Volume 2, which is out on Friday at 6pm on Sky Football. Um, We're going to go in positional order, starting with the goalkeeper that we had included last year. And George... We're not we're not really in the market to be particularly criticizing any of these players because it's only one year of what we think and expect and hope will be long and, and very uh, successful careers as footballers. But we are going to break them down into four categories. We're going to say whether we think these players have had a great year, a good year, a so-so year, or a tough year. And there aren't loads of them. I'm pleased to say that have had a tough year. But I've got Toby Savin in the tough year category. Savin, the the Accrington Stanley goalkeeper, who was starting games at a very young age, whose underlying shot-stopping numbers were very impressive. I believe at the time that we did the show last year, they were sort of top three, top four in League One. Uh, Marco Morosi was reflected very well in those, but Savin was right up there, and we were very impressed with what we'd seen. Almost immediately, he appeared to lose a lot of confidence in himself he played behind a defense that has consistently faced a lot of shots he even lost his place at the start of this season George it has been a tough year for Toby Savin yeah I've gone for so so only I thought about this a fair bit um just because I thought that um being a a young keeper is is pretty difficult there aren't many of those around who are playing consistently uh he's regained his place now um his um you know, underlying numbers aren't great. He's got a negative goals prevented ratio, which isn't ideal. Um, but I think it's kind of Accrington's malaise a little bit as, as well as his own that, that's that's come into that. And, and I do think he's still probably a keeper who maybe needs a move, who I've still got high hopes for. Um, it's definitely been a, a difficult year. He hasn't kicked on the way that we would hope. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of maybe a little... Uh, the performances themselves clearly haven't been great, but I'm a little bit more positive, I guess, purely because it's it's quite rare to be in the position that he was in this time last year. You know, he was being linked to, to Tottenham this time last year, which yeah. feels um, a long way away now. <laughs> yeah, I think 
for me the the more the most interesting discussion off the back of this would be to to talk about young goalkeeping and the development of young goalkeepers and and to what extent we should or people who follow the game or people within the game should value the same sort of things that we value with outfield players as we do with young goalkeepers um they have a very strange kind of conversion rate from uh, youth career to senior career. I would say a, probably a lower conversion rate at the very top of, of the game in, in academy terms. Um, and it would be interesting to, to kind of understand a little bit better the exact reasons for that. Of course, as a position on the football pitch, it is completely unique and completely different to any of the other positions. Therefore, the skill sets that you need, dare I say it, the mentality that you need is completely different to the other positions on the pitch. So um, it is definitely a position that's kind of difficult to look at in terms of uh, youth terms or young goalkeeping terms. And also because most clubs in the EFL don't trust a goalkeeper 21 and under to wear their gloves as their number one. Uh, This season, there aren't very many. The majority of them are Premier League loanees like James Trafford, like Carl Rushworth, people... um, like that there aren't many young EFL developed goalkeepers who get the gloves at such a young age so certainly not um, doing him down by any means and as you say he has regained his place in this Accrington team but I'm uh, yeah I'm happy to say so so yeah I think that's I think that's fair Uh, how about one of today's goal scorers Jacob Greaves of Hull City what have you made of his year since since the big moment being named in 21 under 21 (laughs) I think I think it's been a good year for him. I would say it's certainly been a well. I mean, I guess today doesn't really come into it in terms of the the year that he's had. Um, but you know, he's a player who we liked um, for his multifaceted abilities um, as a defender. I think the the way that things have gone at Hull hasn't been ideal in terms of the the massive churn of players. The the reign of Shotaravaladze, but I think he's been largely unaffected. His development has continued. He's been a regular in the, in the, in the team. He's still a menace in, in in the opposition box, and he's a and he's a capable defender. So, um, it hasn't been a great year. I don't think he hasn't got a move or anything like that. But I, I do think he's been, um, a, 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 yeah, it's been a, a year of progression. I would say. Definitely agree, and I'm saying the same about the other centre-back in this list. That was Ben Cabango of Swansea City. Uh, I think Cabango has had a good year. He is super established in this Swansea side. He started 21, uh, 22 games already this season. He's got 110 championship appearances to his name at this point. He's been in Wales squads and got minutes in a Wales kit. Uh, went to the World Cup, albeit didn't see the field of play. And I'm sure... Uh, that over the last year of playing in this very specialised possession-based system where he gets more touches and makes more passes than 99% of centre-backs in the EFL, that that part of his game will surely have improved, even if Cabango is unlikely to ever be Harry Darling, for example, with that sort of passing range and vision. Um, He will be improving on that front, and that is crucial for him uh, and his future in the game. I think it's been a good year for Ben Cabango. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Good. Well, as Middlesbrough go ahead away at Birmingham, thanks to the big tree, Matt Crooks, we'll move on to a player that made Middlesbrough a lot of money this year without ever playing for them. Jed Spence, George, was in 21 under 21 last year. He's now a Tottenham Hotspur player, although you wouldn't know it because he isn't playing. What do you make of Jed Spence's year? There's a few on this list where, like, there have been some amazing, <laughs> been some amazing highlights. There have also been some quite weird moments. How do you rank Spence's year? I think it's got to be a good year. I mean, he's not he hasn't played football for half of it, but I think when you when you have the, you know, the, the second half of the season he had, which wasn't as good as the first to be fair, but he was still a a pretty key 
um, performer in a side that, that got promoted um, to the Premier League and he was you know, a massive part of that side, uh, which would be a career highlight for most people to secure a life-changing move to Tottenham in terms of the financials that will bring and, and his trajectory going, going forward. Um, he came off um, the bench last yesterday um, for a rare appearance for Spurs. Clearly things haven't gone to plan at Spurs so far. Um, it doesn't seem like Antonio Conte is, is necessarily bought into him. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the, he is what this list is all about. And he's a Premier League footballer for a team who will finish probably in the European spots this season. Um, and hopefully he gets this opportunity to, to prove himself soon. Yeah, I I think I'm just going to say great year for Jed Spence. Um, winning promotion with Forrest and moving to Tottenham Hotspur, even if he's not playing much at the moment. I think that's an incredible, a great year for for a young player to have had. Um, and and he's, you know, he has reached... Uh, uh, a club, for example, that I'm sure he would have dreamt of playing for when he was a kid, but there were points where it would have felt that he was quite far away from that. So um, plenty still to come from Jed Spence, and whether that's in a Spurs shirt or not. What do you think about Festi Abasele, who was playing <laughs> He was playing for Derby County? We weren't a million percent sure what position he actually played, but we were sure as hell entertained by the way that he played pretty much any position. Uh, he signed for Udinese in the summer. Udinese have very strong links with what? Watford there was uh, as there always were going to be suggestions that maybe it was a way to get him to Watford uh, in some form or another but we're in January I haven't seen any suggestion that he's going to be pitching up in uh, in in Watford at any point in fact Twitter tells me there's a report that he's in advanced talks to join Serie A side Salanitana he's uh he's certainly not playing much for Udinese it's fair to say yeah, I think it's a so-so year. This one, um, I was kind of disappointed when he took the when he took the move to Udinese in the first place. I think there there probably would have been clubs in for him where he'd have got regular minutes. He's only played eight minutes in Syria this season. He's clearly not part of their plans at the moment, and you know, alone to a Syria minnow um, isn't really great progression. Ebiove was the the player who overshadowed him. I thought in the second half of last season, and. Um, he got the move to Crystal Palace where he hasn't been playing much yet, but that's the kind of move I think Ebersele maybe should have held out for. So not great on the pitch in the first half of the year and then haven't really seen him since. Nathaniel Ogbetta has had a very tough year. Uh, Nathaniel Ogbetta signed for Swansea the day before we recorded 21 Under 21 from Shrewsbury Town. And I'm going to be honest, I was pretty keen to uh, include Ogbetta even before his move to Swans because I felt like he was doing the sort of things, particularly going forward in a Shrewsbury side that wasn't creating a ton, that wasn't a, a famously attacking team anyway. I felt like he was doing the sorts of things that were going to get people noticing clubs at higher levels who were looking for attacking wing-backs who could provide uh, an, an impact games in the final third. Now, Ogbetta signed for Swansea and has barely played a minute. When he joined, he picked up an injury, which meant that he wasn't available for Russ Martin. But even when he came back and was available, it's it became quite clear to me pretty quickly that Russell Martin wasn't hugely fussed about giving him many opportunities. Now, that was, to me, quite surprising, a little bit frustrating because I wanted to see what he could do particularly in this Swansea team, a team that play with really attacking wing-backs, where I felt like he could make an impact, a team that hasn't had an easy time or an obvious left wing-back uh, until Ryan Manning made that position his own. At the time where Ogbetta joined, Manning was playing left centre-back and there, it did feel like there was a spot for him. I've had a few things suggested to me which are always difficult to kind of know from the outside. One of them is that uh, Mark Allen 
who had real links with uh, Manchester City. Ogbetta would have been a player that Alan knew really well from his uh, Manchester City days. Um, I should say he had been appointed the sporting director of Swansea City. He has since left that role, so he's no longer at Swansea City, left in April of 2022. So the suggestion is that Mark Allen was kind of the reason for Ogbetta joining Swansea rather than Russell Martin particularly being that up for it. And since Allen has left, Ogbetta really hasn't got a look in. I've also had it suggested to me that Ogbetta's uh, work ethic in training and his temperament ha- hasn't been ideal for, let's say, trying to impress a guy that's not that fussed about playing you and, and make him put you in the team. So those are a few things that have been suggested to me uh, about better when I've been trying to work out exactly why he's had such a tough year since what on paper looked like a fairly exciting move to Swansea. Um, but there's no doubt it's been a, a tough year and there's no doubt in my mind that his future is is certainly immediately or in the long term away from uh, Swansea. So, yeah, Ogbetta probably, of all the players on the list of 21, has, has had the, the, the most difficult and disappointing year, I think it's fair to say. What about Kane Wilson, George? <sighs> it's another one where, you know, you have to look at the promotion with Forest Green as being a massive positive, um, the move to Bristol City being a big positive, and then he's played 74 minutes of league football which is a blow. So I'm going to call it a so-so year, I'm afraid. Um, you know, I don't that's I think when you make a move and you're not playing football for the second half of a campaign for a championship club who are really struggling, it's very hard to, to call it any more than that. The promotion was obviously huge for him. You know, to win player of the season in League Two um, is a hell of an accolade. So maybe I'm being harsh. Maybe I'll, I'll upgrade it to good for that reason. Yeah. He's been injured. He's been injured. Well, has he been injured the whole time? Uh, certainly in the last few months. Not the whole time. Yeah, he, he wasn't getting the side. His, la- his last appearance was in October. So from August through to October, he was, um, you know, not getting a look in. And he's been injured recently. Yeah, it's it's disappointing for someone who you'd think would would improve Bristol City given his his ability on the ball. Well, he's he's in a he's in a pretty good spot that's for sure when he is back and fit uh, and hopefully uh, we'll start to see that in the next few months. What about Callum Styles who uh Barnsley player who's on one of those quite confusing loans where he's on loan from a club in League 1 at a club in the Championship playing for Millwall. He's had seven starts for Millwall this season. Obviously really disappointing second half of the campaign as Bar- uh, Barnsley went down under Poyaraz Baggy Styles played right wing for a little bit. He played a, a bit of everywhere and again George I wonder if a year on we're still not that much closer to knowing exactly what Callum Styles' best position is or just where a manager is happy to give him a, st- a solid run of games. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't mind the move, though. I mean, I know he hasn't played loads, um, but I think at the time of recording, we're starting to see him come into the game a little bit more. He was good uh, against Rotherham, although that is on New Year's Day, so it doesn't count. That's, that's sad. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he is someone who's <laughs> struggling to nail down that spot. He can play. Um, he's played a bit in centre midfield, played a bit on the left-hand side. Um I anticipate he will get more opportunity. I think Millwall's a very good place to be at the moment. They are um, a side under Guy Rowett who are, who are playing well, who are you know have have a, a fair chance of getting to the playoffs this season. Um, we probably would have hoped for for more game time, but at least unlike the likes of Wilson and Ogbetta, he is part of the squad and is being eased into things and, and performing okay when he does get in. Yeah, fair point. That uh, I, I'm saying so. So yeah, uh, Max Bird. What do you make of Max Bird's year since being included in 21 under 21? So-so, again, I would say. Um, you know, he's playing regularly now in, in League One when he was playing regularly in the Championship last season. Um, he's been pretty good for, for Derby in League One, playing alongside Conor Harrahan, but by no means dominant. Um, so, uh, but he's, you know, he's he's got his place secured as long as he wants, I think, there. And when he does move, it will be a move up. 
but um, maybe for his career, the best thing might be for him to um, to, to look and see if there is an opportunity to to go. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to say someone's had a good year when they're playing in the, in the league below they were the season before. Well, Derby County have been well represented uh, on this list last year. Ebisele, uh, Max Bird, and also Jason Knight, who we'll come on to now. And I think probably with Derby County and these players uh, more than any others, it's the well, it's the results, the performances, it's the situation of the club that has had pretty big impact. You know, Max Bird was doing pretty well for Derby in the Championship, but it was a Derby side that was on the slide and has been on the slide ever since he came onto the team. I don't think it's necessarily any fault of his own. It's just the the yeah, that's what the club has gone through over the last few years. You could say the same about Jason Knight, uh, who we'll talk about next. Who I think again, you'd say you'd say a so so year. Jason Knight uh, is highly established as a as a leader uh, in Derby's squad uh, in their relegation, a very disappointing relegation campaign, and in League One, he's had a bit of a weird year. Knight uh, had quite an annoying injury at the start of the season, which meant that he. You know, he 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 kind of missed a few games early on in League One, and certainly under Paul Warren uh, and previously under Rossini and, and the systems that they're playing, it hasn't felt like he has an obvious place in the starting eleven uh, under Paul Warren. I know that he's starting today, and that's a good sign. I think Knight's one of those where I think on paper, by most measures, you'd say it's no better than a so-so year, and yet I'm not worried about Jason Knight, and I'm not particularly concerned that he would not still have a very, very bright future in the game. I think it's just because of the situation at Derby, with the relegation, with his injury at the start of this season. Um, and I still think that in another year's time, we're going to be looking at Jason Knight realising that you know having a tough year in 2022 wasn't really anything that he was in control of, um, put it that way. So, so, so year for Bird and Knight, the Derby players, with that relegation. Uh, what about Dan Neal, George? I'm saying good year, almost great. What about you? Yeah, I'm saying good year, not quite great, but but very good. You know, he's established himself as a, a you know a championship centre midfielder for Sunderland. Um, he still has that really nice um, ball playing ability. Cruelly two up against Newport. Dominic Telfer scored twice. Penalty. Wow. What a return for Captain Dom. It's a... Who was I even talking about? <laughs> You're talking about Dan Neal. He, yeah, he's still a very attractive midfielder to watch in terms of his passing ability and his ball carrying, but he's also, I think, adapted in terms of his defensive work as well, and that's been really good to see. So, yeah, a player that I really like who's taken another big step forward um, and is a yeah a key player for a, for a team who also could be trying to, to force their way into the, the playoffs against the Premier League this season. Wednesday have just 4-0 up against uh, Cambridge United. A comfortable home win on the cards for Sheffield Wednesday. But George Ellick. Lincoln. 10-man Lincoln. 1-0 up at home to Ipswich. Jack Diamond with a penalty. Oh my goodness gracious me. How do they do it? I don't understand it. A big last 25 for Lincoln. Could they make it another famous backs to the wall win against one of the league's leading lights this season? They've done it pretty consistently at this point. Um, I think Dan Neal's had a, had a good year. I'm really, really impressed with the way he has stepped up in particular to the rigours of the championship, having having lost his place, don't forget, under Alex Neal um, last season in the run-in uh, to Sunderland's promotion. But he looks to me to have, you know, become a little bit more sturdy. Uh, and of course, that passing range is still there. Good year for, for Dan Neal. Almost great. I think it's been a great year for Alex Scott. You know, Bristol City uh, are one of those teams who... Probably, if you look at their record in 2022, uh, haven't actually picked up that many points. But I don't think you can really argue that Alex Scott has become, in my eyes, 
one of their three best and most influential players, uh, has again showed his ability to play in a ton of different positions. He hasn't racked up a, a load of goals uh, this season. He hasn't scored, but he's got five assists, which I think is a pretty good return in 25 games. But it's his all-round game. Uh, it's his tenacity. It's his quality on the ball. It, it's it's what I think is just a little bit of X factor. It's the fact that he's now played 70 games for Bristol City and he's well, he only turned 19 four months ago uh, and three caps now for the under-20s of England, uh, having won the under-19 Euros in the summer. A pretty great year for Alex Scott. Uh, Fabio Carvalho. Great year. Great year. Great year. Great year, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's got a, the move that we thought he was going to get in January last year. He's gone to Liverpool. He's immediately become a part of their of their sides. You know, he's being eased in in a way that um, I think is good for his development, but hasn't had a place at all. He's scored a couple of Premier League goals. He's got Champions League experience. He's destined for the very top. Uh, a little bit sad to see Cody Gakpo brought in purely uh, because I think it might somewhat stunt Carvalho's um, development. But um, yeah, I mean, a, a magnificent year for, for probably the, the standout player on this list. Already four Premier League starts in a Liverpool shirt. That is pretty sensational for a 20-year-old who was playing in the Championship last season. Jack Rodoni, I'm, I'm really on the fence between a so-so year and a good year. Uh, here's why. Clearly, there have been some really tough parts of Jack Rodoni's year, namely the fact that Basically, from the moment we picked him in 21 under 21, his club, AFC Wimbledon, did not win a single league game for five months and suffered relegation to League Two. Um, people didn't mark Rudoni down for that, and he did get a move to the Championship, and he joined a Huddersfield side that had just lost in the playoff final, and then a Huddersfield side that barely won a football match for the next three or four months. And, and Rudoni settling into a much higher level than he'd played at before, being moved all over, playing in a ton of quite un, quite weird positions, like you know midfield in a pivot where, where he hadn't excelled or even played for, for very much for Wimbledon. I'm going to say a good year, just because this is a, a young player who came through at a struggling League One side, is now a championship player and who I think has made some big personal development strides on the pitch, even while his teams have been struggling and mostly losing games. He looks stronger and, dare I say, a bit quicker than he did, a bit more powerful than he did last season. And, you know, the reasons that we liked his game in particular was his, his eye for goal and what he can do in the final third to actually impact things in terms of goals and assists. So I do think that in a, in a good team, uh, Rodoni would start to provide those. Uh, and I think he's looking pretty good. So I'm just going to say a good year, even though I wonder how many football matches Jack Rodoni actually won in in the year. He's a, he's a, he's in a championship player now. And I think that reflects well on him. Uh, <laughs> Iliman and Jai. I don't even like it. I, I'm saying a good year rather than a great year. <sighs> Just purely because maybe our standards are different, mate, for him. But, um, you know, I, I consider him to be at the, not quite the Fabio Carvalho level, but I feel like this is his year to have a great year. He's obviously secured himself as being one of the best attacking players in the division. He went to the World Cup, which is a big deal for, for someone, um, you know, of, of championship stature. I, I think there's more to come. I think he is very much a, a Premier League footballer in waiting uh, someone who I anticipate will get that move uh, or, or, or more than likely play for Sheffield United in the Premier League next season uh, and then once he gets there I doubt he's going to come away from that level so um, he's a player that I love to watch um, and has kind of nailed down that second striker role as being his own which is you know this time last year we weren't quite sure what his position was going to be um, I'm yeah. a huge fan I'm I'd like to say great year only because 
we wanted more goals and assists from him over the summer. He's come back this season and provided more goals and assists, uh, nine goals and seven assists in the uh, in the season so far. Uh, he's playing for uh, a team that, that we believe are going to be automatically promoted. And I think probably if we had to pick five players of the season in the championship so far, he, he would certainly be in the conversation and probably in my top five anyway. Um, plus he went to the World Cup with Senegal. So I, I reckon a great year for Illiman and Jai, but I did take your points. Can you tell me what you think about Keen Lewis Potter and Brennan Johnson's years because they are both Premier League players. Keen Lewis Potter with Hull City, Brennan Johnson with Nottingham Forest. You know that's as part of the point of why we're doing this is is to try and find the guys that are going to be playing Premier League football uh, in the future. For them, it came pretty quickly. Yeah, I think I think for Brennan, it's a it's it's probably a great year. Um, for you know the, the thing that separates him and Eliman and Jai is is purely the the promotion, isn't it? Really, um, and that's kind of the one thing that that's a sticking point. You know, Brennan Johnson also um, went to the World Cup and, and got minutes there. He's a, a first team player for Nottingham Forest, um, who are making a pretty good fist of of trying to stay up a massive part in their promotion as well. So I think he's he's absolutely got to be um, in the in, in the great list, and then. Um, who Keen Lewis Potter is probably good. You know, he lacks the promotion, as as we just said. You know, he doesn't have that. And then he's gone to, to Brentford, which is a, a great move for him. But but we yet to see him really do too much. I think until we see some kind of output from him in the Premier League, it's hard to, to put him in that great bracket. But um, certainly someone who's graduated well from, from the list last season. And I'm sure when he does get his chance um, consistently, we'll, we'll take it. And, I, and I've got no doubt that Brentford are managing his development well. Sheffield Wednesday 5, Cambridge United 0. Only an idiot would have laid Sheffield Wednesday uh, on the betting show. I think that's fair to say. Um, I, nothing more to add on those two. I think Tyrese Dolan of Blackburn Rovers is an interesting one. I'm going to say a so-so year for Ty Dolan because I don't feel like his situation at Blackburn feels that different to how it did one year ago. And yet I... I don't know if I'm missing something, but when I watch Tyrese Dolan play for Blackburn, I see a lot of positive things. I see him doing a lot of positive things, particularly out of possession in terms of how dangerous he is pressing big cumbersome centre-backs because he's so quick and he's so agile. I see pretty good things on the ball in terms of his trickiness, in terms of his directness when he's up for it. He's got a few goals, he's got a few assists. And yet, George, he doesn't really seem to have nailed down a starting spot in this team, which is, I think, a bit of a blow. So I'd say it's a so-so year in that there's been things I've liked, but I don't think there's been that much development. Yeah, um, I think that's probably fair. Uh, I don't know. I wonder, it's it's kind of a similar thing. We almost need another another bracket because it's a similar with the Rodoni one for me, where um, you know I think that they have done fine and is fine so-so. I mean... I would say they've taken something of a step forward. I think Tyree Sterling, maybe it's recency bias, has been in good form as of late. He's still a player that I like to watch. He certainly hasn't taken a step back, um, but maybe he hasn't hit the heights we would have been hoping for. So, yeah, I, I guess you're probably right, but he's still a player that I do I do really like. Daniel Jebison, your honour. I mean, it's got to be... I mean, is, is it just so-so? I don't know. I mean, he's he's... It's all kind of unravelled a little bit since we did the show, hasn't it, where... You know, second half of last season, uh, he was was recalled back from Burton uh, and and barely played. And then this season, he's barely played for for Sheffield United. Um, mm. I, I guess this is probably maybe a, a difficult year for or a tough year for for him. Um, but I had kind of no real fault of his own. Yeah, I, I 
basically agree. Uh, it seems like basically from from this moment onwards, there's a chance that Jebison may be sent back out on loan, probably towards the top of League One. And by May, we might be talking about a guy that has scored ten League One goals and is fulfilling his you know his his quite clear potential that we saw in the first half of last season. Uh, or it might be that. For Sheffield United, um, I know that Jack Lester's been talking a lot about him recently. He has an important role at Sheffield. Seems like they they're really pushing the fact that they're really enjoying what he's doing. You know, they're they're very very keen on him. They're not marking him down, despite the fact that they're also not really playing him very much. Uh, and that you know they've got high hopes for him, and, and maybe that means they want to keep him in the building for the for the next six months and have him experience you know what could be a promotion, even if he may not be that heavily involved. Uh, what about Callum Morton? Tough year, for sure. Um, I don't really know what's happened to him. Where I, I still like him as a player. He's still that bundle of energy, but he's playing up front for a Fleetwood side who are very much a mid-table League One side. Um, and his his goal scoring is completely gone. Um, it's, it's, it's bizarre to see. He's still getting into some kind of goal scoring opportunities. He's not, you know, he's playing regularly and is, and is a fairly big player for them. Uh, but in terms of his output this season, he scored two goals in 20-odd in games, uh, which is not what we expected to see. I, in my mind, he's a striker who I thought, you know, this time last year, if you told me he was playing in League One, I'd have thought he'd be one of the best strikers in League One. And that hasn't proven to be the case. He, he's kind of the only one, I guess, on the list where he's playing regularly and just the quality doesn't seem to be there at this stage, even though he, he is still an effective League One player. Yeah, I, I'm I'm still pretty optimistic for Morton. I think, you know, the first thing for him was to find a home, having been on however many loans it was from West Bromwich Albion, who were clearly never going to give him a, a proper go in their first team. Uh, and, and that's not a criticism of them. Uh, it was interesting to see him move to, to Fleetwood. I think we, we felt like there might have been interest uh, from some of the richer clubs in League One. And it's just good to see him playing a lot of football. As you say, That the thing that's missing at the moment is the goal output. But I think I even said when we talked about him on the show last year, I believe Morton is someone who brings quite a lot to a team and an attack, even outside of goal scoring. I also think that, that you know, I've, I'm kind of seeing enough from the numbers to suggest that, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he had a much better second half of the of the season on that front. But I, I definitely agree with your categorization of his year. Um, I'm interested to know what you think about one of my personal favourite players on the list, certainly to watch, and that's Antoine Semenyo of Bristol City. Tony Semenyo. Um, yeah, he has had a so-so year, I think. Uh, again, because the standards that we've set, I thought this time last year he would have got a Premier League move and he would be being eased into life in the Premier League rather than that. Due to, you know, partly because of his own fitness and partly because of the form of some of his teammates, he struggled to get into the Bristol City side at times this season. Um, I think he is better than that. I think he needs to to get that move uh, fairly quickly, but it does feel like a season of stagnation rather than progress. I think there's been some quite annoying and badly timed injuries for Semenyo, um, but there's been some pretty good stuff as well. You know, for him personally, I think uh, representing Ghana at the World Cup would have been absolutely magic. When he when he did get back fit at the start of this season, he got a couple of assists in a couple of bench appearances, and then when he got the chances to start, he just didn't quite grab them uh, in terms of that goal and assist output. Uh, he has started the last two games and did score on New Year's Day, so I'm, I'm hoping for big things for Semenyo. I really believe that the type of player that he is will tempt 
a Premier League club, a Crystal Palace, for example, into uh, a decent offer for him at some point. And it'd be fascinating to see how much development he has got in him um, because, you know, he is someone with a lot of pretty exciting skills, it's fair to say. Um, so that was last year's 21 under 21 list. What a list. What a list. And what a fun exercise to, to kind of go through it, um, to take a look at them, and particularly as we've spent the last, well, the better part of the last month going through all of the eligible players um, in the EFL for this year's list, working out who we think is meriting a place on this year's list. You'll find out on Friday at 6pm, live on, uh, not live actually, we, we are recording it a day or two before, uh, but you can watch it on Friday at 6pm and then repeated throughout the weekend on Sky Sports Football, uh, available on demand as well. If you can't find it on there, just send us a tweet. We'll be happy to, to, to find ways of you to, to, to watch what we're hoping is going to be a piece of work that we're really proud of again uh, and a list of players that you guys are going to be pretty interested in. We're almost done for what's been quite a fun, uh, very lengthy New Year's Day pod. We hope that this is uh, New Year's, it's not even New Year's Day, 2nd of Jan pod. Hope that you've enjoyed uh, starting the year listening to us. Uh, but we'll just do another 10 minutes, shall we, George? Because we've got some games to finish uh, yeah. in the EFL. Um, 10 minutes out, what's been happening? So we've got Borough are currently... 2-1 up at Birmingham, but I think that score is about to change. Uh, we've got Stoke Preston is currently 0-0. Burnley's still 2-1 up against Swansea. West Brom took the lead against Reading through Daryl DK, but the reports I'm reading is that Reading have got them somewhat under the cosh. Uh, Hull have just taken a 3-1 lead over Wigan, um, with Tyler Smith scoring the third goal. Uh, and I think there's also been a goal at Carrow Road. Chuba Akpom. Who else? Has there been a goal in that game that Gary Rowett's watching at, at Carrow Road? Yes, there has been. Uh, Watford have taken the lead at Carrow Road. Wow. Uh, through Bio has scored in the 87th minute. I haven't seen it. We're going to see it in a second. Uh, but that is a big, big goal for Southern Bidditch because you'd think if they'd lost that today, three defeats on the bounce um, could have made things pretty difficult for him knowing the way that, that club is generally run. What a glorious take from Chubak. Oh, whose ball through is that? That's the big well. tree, Matt Crooks, with two goals and an assist. Chuba goes to the t- Chuba goes to the top of the charts, pulls one clear of uh, twelve goal Kyok. We're talking thirteen goals now for Akpom. Bolton three 0 up against Barnsley, four 0 still derby against Accrington. Uh, Osula sent off. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday five 0 up at home against Cambridge, and Cameron Humphreys has just scored um, a, an equaliser for Ipswich at Lincoln. A little diving header at the back post, which is exciting in League Two. Barrow 0-0 against Rochdale. Newport have got one back against Crawley. It is now 2-1 there. Uh, the goal coming from Matt Dolan. Uh, Cobblers are 1-0 up against Leighton Orient. Omar Beckles thought he'd scored an equaliser, but it was ruled out. And Stevenage are still 1-0 up at home to Gillingham. Northampton's goal scored by Ben Fox, and it was Fox in the box, I can confirm. Which <laughs> is particularly pleasing because, as a player, he is not a Fox in the box. He's like a, a midfield ratter. But uh, on this occasion, he it's actually a goal that I would recommend watching because it's kind of quite chaotic and quite funny. Uh, I noticed that Dan Happy got injured for Orient after 20 minutes, came out Shadrach OG coming in. Now, you know, for all that we like Shadrach and we think that he's he's someone with an interesting future in the game, that could be a big, big issue for Orient because Happy and Beckles as a combination have been simply sensational this season. Um, so 10 minutes for them to get back level against Northampton. Uh, I want to take a look at this Newport 1 Crawley 2 scoreline. Just taking a look at the at the stats, it looks as if Newport 
yeah, took some time to get going, um, but are now just putting a little bit of pressure on. 4-1 to Hull. A, a, a really poor start now for, for Colo Torre. To lose 4-1 at home to Hull, I think, is the kind of result where, yes, you're looking to start with the kind of progress and the, and the process and the rest of it. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, it feels like they've probably taken a, you know, they they wanted a change of style and a change of management. I think that Liam Richardson, you know, from the evidence in front of us, is probably a better place to try and keep Wigan up than, than Colo Torre. Talk to me a little bit about Liam Rossinha and Hull then, because you, in, in talking about this game on the betting show, you're pretty positive about Rossinha and Hull. Now, the, the points return hasn't been great, albeit they did win their, their previous game against Birmingham City, but it felt like you were, you're still pleased with what you're seeing and I guess I just wanted to ask the question given that Rossini himself is implementing a pretty uh, pretty heavy possession based style of play with with a bit of emphasis on building the ball up from the back it's the sort of thing that's doesn't seem to be working well for Torre at Wigan at all um, so what are the differences there with Rossini and Hull do you think? I think they've got the players to do it I mean that's that's the crucial thing here um, when you're looking at, at the way that Wigan, Wigan have recruited for Liam Richardson you know Wigan's um, even in in getting promotion last season, Wigan was so uh, weren't particularly good to watch. It was pretty attritional football. It was pretty pragmatic stuff, uh, and they were you know they had a team to do that to, to bring in a, a manager and try and play a different kind of way um, with players who aren't necessarily a drilled to do that or b have the skill set to do it is, is is a pretty risky strategy to take. And um, you know I think Rosinha is a massive upgrade in terms of a coach of, of Arvalade and has the squad to, to suit. And I think that Liam Richardson is probably a better. Well, I mean. Colo Torre could be a, a genius, a coaching genius. I just don't think, you know, the, the assignment matches the tools at, at this stage. And, and I think they, they need to look to going back to a, a probably a more pragmatic style if they want to try and stay up. Jean-Michel Seri seems to be enjoying life under uh, under Liam Rossini. And it, it's, it is very fair to say that Colo Torre does not have a midfielder of the uh, of the technical quality of Suri, so I very much take your point there. Do we know who has scored the equaliser for Newport? Because if it's if it's Drysdale, it's not Drysdale. <laughs> it's, it's our friend Zanzala. Zanzala. Okay, well I guess there might still be a minute or two left in that game. I think it's, I think there's two and a half minutes left there. I'm trying to work out where we've got kind of jeopardy. Well, we've still, we've still got ten minutes at Stoke Preston. I'm on five live in about five minutes, so we've got to be quite careful not to everyone. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd ask you to tune in, but I think you'll be um, busy. Let, let's just let's just mention the fact that we've got Middlesbrough making it three festive wins and continuing their exceptional form. We've got West Bromwich Albion making it three festive wins and extending their fabulous form. We've got Burnley making it three festival uh, festival <laughs> three <Yeah. laughs> three festive wins and continuing their sensational form. We've got this group of four or five teams in the championship now, basically Burnley and Sheffield United and West Brom and Middlesbrough, and they are not letting up right now at Sheffield United taking to the field later away at QPR. Uh, doesn't look like an easy fixture on paper, but if those teams play like they have been playing recently, then you'd think Sheffield United might do what Burnley have done uh, and keep the pressure on them. Ian Matson at the double for Burnley is quite fun. <laughs> All the goals scored in the first half an hour there. Um, Matson must be the most attacking fullback in the whole yeah, of the EFL. First one was a great free kick. 
beautiful. Beautiful. That game's finished. Burnley win again. Looks like Watford are going to take all three points at Carrow Road. If they'd lost that, that would have made it three festive defeats for Watford. They are a team that continue to confuse Norwich City fans, I guess, just hoping that their new manager gets sorted in the next few weeks so that they can actually find something to cling on to because it's all pretty grotty at the moment. It's been an absolute pleasure that this last bit hasn't worked that well, let's be quite honest, but... You know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. It's a, it's a nice idea, and we were. I think, I think we need to work on it. I think that there's something here, but um, maybe we need to. I think we should be together in person when we next yeah. do a, a live update podcast. We'll do a live stream while games are going on at some point in the next two months, probably a midweek evening where things are a little bit easier. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. This has been not the top twenty podcast, twenty one under twenty one. Our show on Sky Sports on Friday, 6th of January, 6pm. It'd be awesome and we'd be so grateful if you could lend your support, whether that's tweeting about the show, whether that's telling your friends about the show, whether that's trying to get some buzz in the fan base if a player that plays for your club gets included. It'd be really great to hear from you. You know, this is a a pretty rare opportunity for us to have what we consider to be kind of our own show on Sky Sports. So we really want it to, to create a good buzz for lots of people to enjoy it, get behind it. Um, so we, we'd love your support. Join up to the NTT20 squad if you like. It's the best place to be if you are an EFL obsessive. We've got plenty of them on there giving insight, opinion, uh, information, anything that you need. Uh, as for us, we'll be back. When will we be back? With a betting show in the second half of the week ahead of the FA Cup third round. So thanks very much for listening and thank you to our sponsors, Betfair. We'll speak soon. Go out.